Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Want to welcome you that are here in person and uh, you that may be watching by Zoom this morning. We love you. God bless you. God's got a great plan for our lives. And uh, today we're going to get into some of that in our Torah study. We're in Torah portion number 14 in Exodus 6. Uh, through Exodus 9, and as we always say, you, you start reading the Bible and you get through a number of chapters, and there's many different themes one could touch on. Uh, all of those themes are important. They're all meant to uh, enlighten us, give us wisdom and insight. Uh, uh, the Bible is given to us in an, as an instruction manual meant to, in one sense, correct problems. If something's wrong in our life, God will show us how to fix it. He's the creator. We're his creation. If you want to know how to fix what's broken, go to the creator, the inventor. And uh, God uh, is all of that and more. And so, welcome to the Torah study. And uh, today... Uh, the message uh, is going to revolve around uh, Pharaoh uh, and his hard heart. Remember Moses c- came to Pharaoh in Egypt uh, in the build-up to the Exodus. Let my people go! And Pharaoh had a hard heart about it. He was a godlike, uh, small g-like, godlike man uh, in society. There, he he thought he was the supreme authority. Uh, we kind of see that today in our world. That men think, governments think, people think that they're the supreme authority. And although all of us have a certain level of dominion and authority and responsibility, we're not the higher power. Right? There's one higher power, and His name is Jehovah, and His Son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua. And so Pharaoh had a hard heart about this. Uh, when Moses confronted him over all the abuse, over all the slavery, all the oppression, uh, uh, Pharaoh uh, had amnesia. I don't see that going on. And uh, I guess he probably originated fake news. <laughs> he had a serious lack of respect for human life. And he had a horrendous hard heart about it. Right? Don't tell me, don't confuse me with the facts. Uh, and that hard-heartedness led to God sending the ten plagues. Uh, each plague was sent in response to one of Egypt's false gods. Uh, Egypt had a pagan system of worship. And lots of different gods. Uh, Most ancient societies and even societies, secular societies today, fall into that. We're worshiping uh, anything but the one true God. 
Uh, but the, so God sends, sends the plagues and each plague is progressively showing Egypt and showing, uh, Pharaoh and even showing Israel that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God. So the plagues were punishment for crimes against humanity. Okay? It wasn't just the slavery, but uh, it was also, we, we don't want to forget this, we don't know if it was the Pharaoh that Joseph came up under, or was it a new Pharaoh? That isn't fully established. But in either case, uh, the Pharaoh didn't, feared the Jewish people, the Israelites, and in fact ordered all the male Israelite babies to be killed at birth. That's how Moses got sent into the little basket down the Nile and was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in the palace and on and on and on. So these are crimes against humanity and the judgment of God is being rendered uh, against Egypt and Pharaoh. Uh, just a side note, when you read the book of Revelation and you see all these devastating uh, events happening to the world, that's not the devil's work. That's God's judgment coming upon a wicked generation that is refusing and rebelling against God. And so it's almost like a great jubilee is happening when you look at the book of Revelation in that everything is beginning to revert back to the original owner. God is the creator of all. This is our Father's world, right? And uh, th But the secular world and powers and principalities that have no regard for God, they're fighting back. And that's why you and I in this world, we go through some fights. And part of church needs to be training on how to fight. We don't wrestle or fight against flesh and blood per se. But there's spiritual wickedness out there that we need to stand against. And in Egypt, a lot of wickedness going on, a lot of immorality, all of this uh, uh, death, this culture of death. So God uses the plagues as a judgment, and they're progressively challenging the Egyptians to make some changes. Uh Egypt never really had a moral foundation to begin with. They weren't like America, one nation under God. But this was an epic opportunity for them to have their eyes open. Open the eyes of your heart and see what's going on. But Pharaoh wouldn't recognize the injustice of his system. And he surely wasn't going to recognize that God is God. And so they paid a terrible price because he refused, they refused to learn some moral lessons. You know, on a, on a smaller scale, that's us. In the sense of there's moral lessons that we need to learn, right? You know, I'm 68 years old and have been in the church since the 80s. 
you know, hopefully I've learned some things to, along the way that makes me more mature and more responsible and stronger as a believer. If, if I'm still a baby Christian today, like I was when I said, Jesus, come into my heart, you know, something's wrong, something's missing. Learn some lessons. Pharaoh in Exodus 5, when Moses first meets with him, Pharaoh says to Moses, Who is God that I should listen to him? (laughs) You don't want that played back when you hit the pearly gates. Let's press the playback. And remember when you said that? No, I repented of that. A lot of that's a lot what the altar call is meant to be, because pre-altar call, pre-prayer of salvation, we had our own version of this working. And so post altar call, post-prayer of salvation, needs to be just the opposite. I know who God is, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life listening to Him. Sure wish our government would learn that lesson. The more you read about how Pharaoh handled things, the more you realize, man, this guy is stubborn. And he's so stubborn, he's willing to go off a cliff. (laughs) And the longer anybody, even today in our own world, the longer we dig our heels in against God and are stubborn against God, the uh, the harder it's going to be to find our way back to common sense. Remember the prodigal son, he came to his senses. But he had hit rock bottom. Not everybody who hits rock bottom comes to their senses. And today, in today's culture, you see the government is enabling people to be crazy. Instead of helping them with a hand up, they keep, well, let's have another uh, uh, opium den. And we'll distribute the opium and the heroin uh, so that you can uh, be in a safe space while you're zoned out. It's like uh, the zombie apocalypse. And the government is like leading the way. It's like Rome is burning and you're fiddling? (laughs) So... Being stubborn at times can be a virtue if it's a godly thing. You're persistent. You're persevering. There's a sense of tenacity that you're not giving in. You're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not bowing down to the devil. I'm not slowing down with my work for God. And uh, come heaven or high water, come hell or high water, I'm going to serve the Lord. But at the same time, it can be a defect in our personality. Stubbornness, just being inflexible, not wanting to learn, right? Being obstinate, being uh, committed to uh, your opinion, even if your opinion can be proven to be wrong. 
And the problem is that's where negative outcomes come. Why are all these things happening to me? Maybe trace it back to your attitude. People who are never wrong or never need to change their policies or their beliefs or their behaviors, uh, that's stubborn. And uh, that needs changing. And especially once you say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Help me have a new beginning. You know, then we need to get into changing. Proverbs 18.12 says... Proud people will be ruined, but the humble will be honored. How many of you want to be honored? Okay, don't be a know-it-all. My wife says, amen to that. (laughs) Lunk-headed husband. He doesn't have a hard heart, he's got a hard head. So one of the key questions that arises uh, when you study uh, the plagues and Pharaoh and Egypt and this whole battle between Moses and God and Pharaoh and Egypt uh, is that if God hardened Pharaoh's heart, then what choice did he really have if God hardened his heart? And in reality, that's not what happened. If you read closely, uh, in each of the times that Moses comes, each of the plagues that happened, the Torah says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Three times in Exodus 7, it says Pharaoh's heart became hard. That's on him. In chapter 8 it says, When Pharaoh saw that there was relief from the plague, he hardened his heart. And then it goes on. And, but it, it, then after the fifth plague, you see the terminology change. That it's the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. So there's this length of time. Each plague was said to have lasted a week. Moses came, there was a week. The plague, he warned, okay, you got a week. Then the plague lasts a week. And then there's a couple weeks after that. So God basically was giving Egypt about a month with each of the ten plagues to figure things out, to come to their senses and realize. And and why would God do that? Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. He's not willing that anyone go through things. But if we don't respond to the Word of God, then something like chastisement, judgment, and punishment eventually will come. Jesus said it this way to the woman, uh, where are your accusers? The woman caught in, in, in moral adultery, where are your accusers? There, there are none here, I don't accuse you either, Jesus said. But go and sin no more, in other words, change, repent, lest something worse comes upon you. And a lot of times, even in Christianity, even in the church, 
something worse comes upon people because we're not connecting the dots. All right? So, even when Pharaoh seemingly repents, it always comes after one of the plagues. It never comes before the plague. Never comes when Moses brings the word of the Lord and says, Look, dude, something bad is about to happen. You can stop it if you'll bend your knee to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, let's change this thing around. So Moses is warning him, but uh, the repentance never comes. Repenting before the plague would have shown that Pharaoh was humbling himself before the Lord. But waiting until after, he's making it clear that he only wants relief from the suffering. I'm not interested in changing. You know who I am? (laughs) So he's not going to honor and respect the Lord. That is until the tenth and final plague. Even then, he went kicking and screaming. Don't be that guy. (laughs) don't be that Pharaoh-like person in your relationships or at work or with your uh, the, the ones that you love the most usually are the ones that we butt heads with the most. Don't be a butthead. Can you say that uh, in church? Don't be a beavis. It's been suggested that Pharaoh could have spared Egypt uh, of these plagues at any time had he yielded to the Lord. The plagues would have stopped. There was plenty of opportunity to change his ways. In the end, it was Pharaoh himself who brought on the wrath of God. Not only on himself, but on the nation. That's why it's important who we elect as leaders. Last thing you want is to elect people that don't like God, (laughs) that are Pharaoh-like. Well, how do I know that? Uh, Just kind of look and listen? (laughs) Your your actions speak so loud, (laughs) I can't hear a word you're saying. And if you didn't know at the time, you can repent. (laughs) I'll never do that again. (laughs) I'll never vote for that party again. (laughs) So, this is what's interesting in the final analysis in Jewish thought, in Jewish wisdom. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart became the actual punishment for his sin. Measure for measure. Pharaoh closed his heart to the Jews, to changing the system that he was in charge of. He ignored God, and now God was punishing Pharaoh by causing him to lose any sensitivity in his heart. It's like a heroin addict. You kind of, the first time, okay, you're kind of, you're making, but eventually the heroin just takes over. 
And eventually his stubbornness and obstinance and his defiance took over to the point that he couldn't even get back to reality. So he loses his ability to repent. That's his punishment. To say it a different way, God revokes his free will. So this tells us that though man believes that freedom of choice is an inalienable right, God can revoke it. He's the creator. He can decide. And we forget that at times we may forfeit our right to repent. This is what 2 Timothy talks about. Paul uh, is teaching that repentance is a gift. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God will grant them repentance. Repentance is a gift. Like you just can't, well I'm not going to repent for any of my sins and uh, move on and be more righteous I'm just going to live like the devil, say I'm a Christian, and we'll work it all out the day before the rapture. (laughs) Well, you know what? Pharaoh hit the point of no return. The last thing you and I want to do in our lives is hit a point of no return where I'm so far away from God, so alienated from the presence of God, I can't find my way back. So Pharaoh couldn't turn the clock back. He couldn't erase what had happened. He couldn't repent because repentance is a gift. And because he acted this way again and again and again, he just loses his ability to repent. One of the well-known scriptures during the 40 days on God's calendar in the fall, how many of you have been in Pastor Larry's teaching on Elul, the 30 days of Elul, and the 10 days of Teshuvah, the 10 days of repentance in Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. These are Bible holidays. Yes, they're Jewish holidays, but they're Bible holidays. And one of the, the main verses that comes up during this time is in Isaiah 55. And in Isaiah 55, 6, it says, Call on the Lord while He is near. Seek Him while He can be found. So while I was studying this over the weekend, I found the New International Reader's Version. Ever heard of that translation? The, the uh, NIRV. And it says it this way. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. (laughs) Amen. Call out to Him while He's still ready to help you. In other words, repentance is a gift. There are seasons where your heart is stirred and you need to respond to that stirring and say, God, I'm sorry for that. You're not robbing banks, right? You're not setting up heroin injection sites and passing out dirty needles. 
and on and on and on. A lot of what we're dealing with now are just sins of the heart, our attitude. Right? How we treat our family, how we're treating our wife, how we're treating uh, the blessing of God that He's given us. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. Call on Him while He's still ready to help you. Let the one who is evil stop doing evil things, Pharaoh. Let him quit thinking evil thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord. And the Lord will show him His tender love. Let him turn to our God who is always ready to forgive. Amen? But what happens when you reach the point of no return? Can you reach the point of no return? Yeah, you can. Pharaoh did, and God revoked his ability to repent because repentance is a gift, 2 Timothy. God is patient. God is tolerant. God is forgiving. He doesn't want to throw the book at people. He's a lenient God. And His divine nature is to give people the time they need to work it out and come to their senses. We talked about the prodigal son. But, if you're always wanting to go back to your wild and crazy days before Christ, and you continue to go back and go back again and again and again and again, you may reach a point in your life where there's no way back to the Lord. Because your mind, like the heroin addict, is just at one point the heroin takes over. And you're not, the crack cocaine, and you're just, you're a zombie, spiritually speaking. Thank God for His mercy. When's a good day to repent? The day before the Messiah returns. When is the Messiah returning? No one knows, so repent today. (laughs) So, Pharaoh in Egypt needed to respond with repentance, and so did Israel. They were challenged to return. Teshuvah, the Hebrew word for repentance, also means return. And look, Israel had been in bondage for like 210 years is what the Jews teach. In Egypt, they're in Egypt for 200 plus years. And many had fallen prey to the pagan culture. Even in our society today, you read these reports how churches are welcoming in lifestyles and celebrating alternative lifestyles that the Bible already weighed in on. Well, I was born this way. That's why you need to be born again. (laughs) Right? What's the answer? I was born this way. Right? You're at the water cooler and something. Well, they're born that way. Well, that's why they need to be born again. (laughs) That's why you need to ask a higher power into your life to change you and transform you from thinking the way of the world And beginning to think the way of the Lord. Amen. So, 
Israel has some choices to make. That's why God had them partake in a Passover Seder and a Passover sacrifice. Before they could be set free, truly set free, they had to, in effect, repent from an Egyptian mindset. Right? A slave mentality mindset. A victimized mindset. Whatever sin they personally committed or whatever sins they committed as a nation, they needed to be redeemed from that through the Passover sacrifice. And they needed to apply the power of the blood on the doorposts of their heart so that the angel of death would pass over. The wages of sin is death. And they had to pledge their allegiance with a blood covenant sacrifice. And basically what they're saying is, I'm renouncing everything that was going on before this sacrifice in Egypt. Any pagan sin, any false sense of worship, any lukewarmness, any backsliding, any this, that, or the other thing, I I, uh, acknowledge that. I reject that, I renounce that, and I resolve to go forward serving the Lord. Sounds like a born-again moment. And that's what happened. The death of the firstborn was symbolic of a born-again experience. Because, especially if you were the firstborn... That's got to be a little bit like, come on, Jesus. (laughs) Death is happening. And in the Israeli mind, the Jewish mind, it's death to the old life. The power of this blood, the symbol of this blood is there's death to the old life, and I'm being resurrected into a new life serving the Lord. It's the new birth. And here's the thing, is that God didn't do that just so they could be a better version of their old self. Right? And this is kind of what happens a lot of times in the sinner's prayer. Is that people genuinely pray the prayer, but they never follow it up with renouncing some things, repenting of some things, and returning to the Lord uh, with all their heart and all their soul. Look, there's things in your life, in my life, when you accept Jesus into your life, there's things that need to come to a screeching halt. (laughs) There's still forbidden things. There was forbidden fruit in the garden. There's still forbidden things today. You can't become a Christian and think you can go on living like the devil. And just because you say, Jesus, forgive me, come into my heart, doesn't mean your values change, your opinions change, your attitudes change, how you size up your world doesn't change. That's a process called renewing the mind. That's the transformation process. That's the working out of your salvation process. And that's a lifelong journey. 
Some of you were born with halos on your head, so you had that divine calling and didn't have much to overcome. You were just about walking on water from a very young age. Hallelujah. <laughs> but, but some of y'all, me included, boy, we had one foot in hell and the other one on an oil slick. <laughs> we were going down, down, down. Two separate things. Jesus, save me. And Jesus, I will live for you. Two different things. And in order to live a successful Christian life, it involves this uh, concept that Pharaoh couldn't get his mind around. Repentance. Teshuvah. Changing. It's a valuable lesson for church going folk. Because it's possible to go to church, to be saved, you're on your way to heaven, but you're never progressing. No one here, of course, resembles that remark. You wouldn't be here early on a Sunday morning if you weren't trying to make some progress. So turn and tell somebody, we're making some progress. But if you're not making progress... You're likely regressing, not progressing. And the last thing we want to do is to uh, realize that, man, I've got a lot of Pharaoh in me. I'm refusing to change certain things. But did you know that repentance, teshuvah, is at the center of our new life in Christ? The very first sermons published by John the Baptist, by Jesus, and by the Apostle Peter begin with repent. In each sermon, their very first sermons, it involves repentance. It's a call by God to turn away from the old life and turn to living a new life. How many of you have done that? You've turned away from the world's way, from the old life, the sinful life, and you've turned towards living for God. Was it worth it? And the Holy Spirit is given to alert us to areas of our life that need to be transformed. There's areas of our life where our mind needs to be renewed. There's a transformation that needs to take place. That that word is metamorphosis in Romans 12 too. It It's kind of like the the cocoon, the caterpillar in the cocoon transforming into the butterfly. Paul talks about this in to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church had some bad, bad behavior going on in the church. There was a whole lot of forbidden love going on. And Paul rebukes them in a letter. 
And then later, he writes another letter and says, I made you sorry with that letter, didn't I? (laughs) And the word sorry describes pain or grief. So apparently, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth caused them to feel like, oops. And they were grieved in their spirit. And then, so he writes a second letter and talks about it. And he says, now I'm glad I sent the letter. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent. And change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed in any way. It's kind of like you're, all of us, we feel that heaviness, that, that like our heart is being pierced, like, oh man, I I need to knock this off. It's the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience that leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Well, I thought I was saved when I went to the altar. Yeah, you were. But you're also working out your salvation. And there's mistakes, the missing of the mark along the way. And... We're meant to get more and more victory. We're meant to get more and more on top of all the bad stuff. And experience more and more of the good stuff. And Paul is pointing this out. He said there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. The kind of sorrow that makes your heart hurt. Makes you ache on the inside. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you and trying to get you to realize, have some remorse, have some regret. Do you have a conscience? Or, as we're seeing in our society, some people's conscience, just like fair, so seared, there's no way back. Man, that's a, that's not a good spot to be in. Worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Because we're fooling ourselves, but we won't believe it. We're fooling ourselves. So, the church in Corinth makes this decision. We're going to individually change, and the church isn't going to be putting up with that anymore. We're going to do it God's way. Not the way that I feel. Well, I feel. No, you, you got born again. So you don't walk by feeling. You walk by faith. You walk with a trust in the Word of God. If God said it, that settles it, whether the world believes it or not. And that's our mindset. So they make this decision to start living a different way, thinking a different way, and... Paul goes on to write, this is 2 Corinthians 7.11, See what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness. Like there was a genuine authenticity to your life. 
an earnestness, such concern to clear yourself. I don't want that report associated with me anymore. Such indignation, righteous indignation. No, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the blood, by the power of the Word of God, I'm not living that way anymore. That's the right kind of indignation. Such alarm, such longing, such zeal, such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. He's describing Bible repentance. And and this is one of those lather, rinse, repeat things. (laughs) Right? Okay, we wash that one out of our lives, washing by the water of the Word. Oh, there's another one? (laughs) Count it all joy, sister and brother. That's the Christian journey. Not so we can be self-righteous and walk around all arrogant and boastful. It's because, all right, now that i got my head on straight, I can help someone else get out of the mess they're in. Let me tell you something, sister. Let me tell you something. I, I was in a pit. And I renounced and rejected some things, broke some family curses, went to work on some things, and Jesus' salvation kept producing better and better results. And now I'm past that. I used to have the t-shirt, I have issues. Now I don't need that shirt no more. Because those things have been minimized. Now we all have stuff, but that's the goal, right? So repentance, teshuvah, it's the starting place. Hebrews 6.1 says this is an elementary part of the gospel. And there's different steps involved. Number one, regret. Does anybody feel sorry for anything anymore? Does anyone apologize? You watch on TV these people that we appoint leader. They ain't saying sorry for nothing. <laughs> you, you know you did that. Say you're sorry. It's like trying to talk to my two-year-old grandson. You know you did that. Say you're sorry. You can't truly repent if you've never recognized the error of your ways. But God doesn't make you do that so you feel bad about it. He knows that that's the thing that's holding you back from realizing your full potential. So when you feel regret and remorse for what you've done, that's one of the stages or steps, the first step towards getting it right. Number two, renounce. You regret, you renounce. You need to confess some things, right? You're not on the witness stand in front of... We don't make you stand up in front of the whole church. Although, you know what? If you don't take care of some of those things in private, it may go public. (laughs) Ever think of that? (laughs) Well, no one sees me. Oh, boy. 
God is just the kind of God. He's patient, tolerant, long-suffering. But over a period of time, daughter, son, if we don't get that thing right, all of a sudden it's going to be on front-page news. (laughs) Okay, moving right along. I renounce that. Number three, reconcile. You regret some things, you renounce and confess some things, you're asking forgiveness, and you're saying, look, I'm not going to be involved in that anymore. Now you need to reconcile. What am I, re- well, if you harm somebody in all the madness, you probably need to say you're sorry. Yeah? Sincerely. Look, I am so sorry. I messed up bad. Please forgive me. I regret what I did. I'm renouncing what I did. And I want to reconcile. And so there may be some amends. Right? If you, if you took something that didn't belong to you, or you owe somebody something, you might have to pay it back. <laughs> there might need to be some restitution. All right. Moving right along. And number uh, four, resolve. Teshuvah includes resolving not to do it again. Now, it may take, some things are so embedded, <laughs> it may take more than one, one uh, attempt to have that resolution in your spirit. You may need to reinforce that. How many times? Seven times (laughs) seventy? Well, maybe. Hopefully it doesn't take that long to get through. But, you know, when you're recognizing, man, I I blew it. When you're apologizing, if you're reimbursing somebody that you may have injured along the way, it, it makes your resolution a lot easier of not falling into the same behavior again. That's what Paul was saying. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Such earnestness. A concern to clear yourself from all of that silly, crazy, mad behavior. And on and on and on. You showed that you're doing everything necessary to make things right. So now we're uh, all of us here, we're growing with God. That's why you're here. You don't come to church if you're not wanting to grow with God. Well, there may be exceptions to that, but by and large. And the Holy Spirit wants to continue to elevate you and to help you go onward and upward. Right? Because His work in us is maturity. We're not kids anymore. If you just got saved, you're a kid in Christ. But if you've been in uh, Christianity for a number of years, it's like God saying, let's grow up. (laughs) Let's get mature. And the Holy Ghost helps us do that. He'll reveal things that we need to change. He'll open our eyes. He'll give us eyes to see, ears to hear, things that displease Him. What pleases God? What displeases God? He'll help you sort all of that through. You don't need Dr. Phil or Oprah to figure that out. you got the Holy Ghost. 
And then you adjust your thinking. You adjust your behavior to conform to God's ways. Amen? And uh, Pharaoh had a lot of chances, but ultimately he lost his ability to repent. So we need to be, Lord, like even today in the worship, man, just don't be sitting there kind of, oh, look at the pretty lights. And I know you wouldn't do this, but, uh, but you know, pray some prayers under your breath in, in the loud so no one hears you. You don't have to confess things in front of everybody. Lord, I, I, I just want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Show me some things. And see, once you open that door, all of a sudden God will get you through some things, probably sooner versus later. And all of a sudden, life improves. You turn around and realize, all these bad things that kept coming my way are diminishing. And even if some things come my way that are like plague-like things, they don't shake me and get me to run away from God. I'll have peace in the midst of any storm. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we love you today and thank you for your word on Teshuvah, on repentance. We want to thank you for helping us understand the importance of Teshuvah and help us to build our lives on a strong foundation of the Word and the Spirit of God. Help us to examine our lives, to change some things, to repent of some things. And Holy Spirit, we just submit our lives to You. Lord Jesus, we submit our lives to You so we can move forward and grow and mature spiritually. We bind every devil. We break every curse. We ask forgiveness from every sin we renounce every work of the devil that uh, it may be in our lives and father we resolve to to reconcile some things and uh, and to move forward in some things and to sync up our life with you in jesus name amen and amen give the lord a praise